0: Good morning, y'all. Great to see you. Uh, that story that we just read is uh, really kind of a, a climax type moment in this passage that we're going to look at um, today. As Seth mentioned, we are uh, going to finish going through the book of Acts today, and then next week, what we're going to do is do kind of a summary message, looking back over this whole last year that we've been going through this and. And kind of dusting off some of the old stuff we learned. And going, okay, what did we learn through this whole book? What was it that the Lord Jesus was trying to communicate to us as his people here at Redemption Gateway through our study of this this last uh, year? So so that's what we'll do next week. And then the week after that, we're going to start a brand new series uh, on Proverbs called Wisdom in Dizzying Times. Wisdom in Dizzying Times. I don't know if you know that we're in dizzying times. Um, But we want to look at the scriptures. And so that will begin October 15th. And we'd love to have you join us. For that, But for now, we're going to look at Acts chapter 27 and 28. And this is something that's really important to know, especially when we come to the end of a book like this, is that the Bible, when it records history it's not just recording kind of raw historical footage, right? So if you imagine that the the biblical authors have kind of taken video of all the different events, uh, what the scriptures represent is not just kind of the raw footage of this happened and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened. That actually wouldn't be very fun to read. That would be kind of challenging. And the Bible's challenging enough (laughs) to read. But what we actually have to realize is that when the biblical authors are writing particularly these historical narratives, they're not just presenting the raw camera footage, they're actually organizing it in such a way to, to have it be more like a, a TV show or a movie. It's, they're taking these things that actually happen and then arranging them in a way that communicates something. I was thinking about this just this week, We were watching uh, I was watching Planet Earth 2. Planet Earth 2 just came out on BBC America and it's amazing. And I was thinking, how many hours of footage would they have to record to be able to catch all the things they catch? But they're able to catch all this footage and then present it in a way that says like, look, this iguana is getting chased by all these snakes. And off it goes. Right. And, And it's really interesting to watch. It's the same footage, but it's arranged in a way that tells a story. And that's exactly what's happening here in in the scriptures. Now the reason I mention that is because think of the drama of what's happening for Luke as he finishes this book of Acts. Now we said at the very beginning, you may not recall this, but we said that Acts is actually part two of Luke's writings. The first writing was called the Gospel of Luke. That was part one, and he was telling all that Jesus did and, and all about Jesus and who he was in his life and his death and his resurrection. And then in Acts, he actually says at the beginning of the book that he's writing to share what Jesus continued to do. And so he's, he, it, it, actually, if you look at it, Luke uh, writes, I think, uh, more scripture, more words of scripture than any other New Testament author, including the Apostle Paul because you have these two kind of epic books he writes, right? So he has these two movies, if you will, and now he's concluding it in chapters 27 and 28. How would you finish it? How would you finish the movie? What would you include? What would you hope that the conclusion of this would would say, right? I mean, don't you want a good ending, when you watch a movie or when you read a book, any of you ever read a book, especially by like John Grisham, and you're like, I just spent 450 pages, and that was a terrible payoff at the end. Like, what the heck? Why did I do that? I guess it was fun, the journey was okay, but the payoff was lame, right? So, so you don't want that. So what's the payoff? How's this gonna end? And so I actually wanna kinda use that framework um, and, and talk about it maybe in a way that a lot of us would be familiar with, which is to say the book of Acts has been like a TV series. And, and then there's been all these different seasons of the series, right? So you had the early church season. You know, it's kind of the first part of the book. You had the, the mission spreading from Jerusalem to the rest of, you know, the surrounding area. That was another season. You had Paul's missionary journeys. That was another season. And uh, then we had kind of Paul in prison, and that was maybe uh, the season. And now here we are at the last season of this TV, episode, this TV series called Acts. And what I want to do today is look at these final six episodes, So the final six episodes of this series on Acts. And and what we're going to see is it really revolves around this journey. And we'll zoom in on this map here at different points. But uh, this journey is beginning at Caesarea, which is kind of in the bottom right there of that image of the map. You'll see it kind of wanders throughout the Mediterranean, ends up to Crete, ends up way off to the top or the kind of middle left in this little island called Malta, and eventually gets to Rome. That whole journey is what we're going to look at starting now. All right? So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you uh, have inspired it by your spirit and how you've given it to us to instruct us and to encourage us and to shape us and to form us more into the image of Jesus. And I pray that as we look at this and we explore kind of what you have to say to us through this book, that you would give us your eyes and your ears to, to hear the way you would have us. So, Lord, we pray for that in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So, the reason you need a Bible is because what I want to do is just kind of work through these six episodes, and then I want to come back at the end and give a key idea, a big idea, and a key question, all right? So, we'll go through all these episodes, big idea, key question, all right? That's what we're going to do. So, begins in chapter 27, verse 1. Uh, we had left off last week where Paul had been uh, appearing before all these different um government officials kind of explaining his case but he had appealed to caesar and the way that the system worked in rome and the roman government was that if you were a roman citizen and you appealed to caesar you could actually go get before caesar but now there's a problem because paul's way off in caesarea and he has to somehow get to rome where caesar is and so that's what these last few chapters are about so here's what it says 27 verse 1 it says and when it was decided that we should sail for italy They delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramidium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Mira in Lycia. All right, you with it? Like that's, that's a boring start to this TV series. But uh, here's, here's kind of a map that helps you zoom in on this. So all of this is kind of, dis- this, this map is describing that whole thing and there's a lot of, a lot of that whole You know, they went by Cyprus under the lee, and there's all this nautical terminology and stuff that I'm not going to explain, and I don't really even know. Um, So we'll just keep going. So it says in Lycia, it says, verse 6, There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. Now, this verse actually helps us understand some of the context of what goes on with this. You didn't have these big uh, these big uh, passenger ships that would take people places, right? You didn't have, you know, a cruise liner or something like that. And so what would happen is you would have to kind of tag along with merchants that were sailing from different places. And so you have a centurion who's the Roman soldier guarding Paul and responsible for getting Paul to Rome, and then they're kind of, Hitchhiking onto these boats to try to meander their way and get their way to Rome. Now, another thing that's fascinating in verse 6 is just a slight little word there, but it's at the end. It says, sailing for Italy and put us on board. What does that mean? That means Luke is it. Like he's he's with it, right? And and so This is an amazing thing. You have this Roman soldier and the people that are with him and then you have him allowing Paul to have a few companions. This just shows you the kind of reputation and even grace that was being given to Paul throughout this journey that these associates of his are allowed to travel along with him. It says this, verse seven, we sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus and as the wind, I'm assuming that sea is silent by the way, And as the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the Lee of Crete off Salmone. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lacia. Since much time had passed, And the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. Uh, Historians estimate that the fast Paul's referring to is probably taking place in early October. And it was very common that by that point in the year, you didn't really start taking trips until probably February or March because of the storms and the sea and a lot of the superstition that folks had related to it. This whole trip, by the way, from Caesarea to Rome in good weather would take five weeks. It's gonna take them four months. Much time has passed, verse 9, and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. This verse struck me as really funny as I was kind of, because I'm imagining, right, you have all these professional merchants, professional sailors, you have the soldiers, you have Paul and his friends, right? and there's this big meeting, apparently, about, okay, Now that the weather's in the situation it is, what should we do? And Paul steps forward. They're like, Paul, are you a nautical expert? No, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. (laughs) And I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, Right, so this is an odd, you kind of go like, Paul, like stay in your lane, man. Like, hey preacher boy, what do you know about this? Well actually, Paul is a pretty experienced traveler when it comes to this stuff. Here's what he he writes in 2 Corinthians 11, the end there, he says, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea. Wow, You, you probably learned some stuff through that on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Paul is speaking here with some experience, right? He's not just kind of a total moron about this and he's going, guys, it's getting late in the year. I think there's gonna be some problems if we go through with this. Are you sure we wanna do it? Verse 11 says, but the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. Makes sense, they're paying the bills, right? Verse 12, and because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. So they were snowbirds, (laughs) got to Phoenix to spend the winter there, right? So, So that's where they are, they're hanging out on that island, that's kind of the end of the first Episode. There's this warning, there's this danger looming, ooh, how's this gonna go? What's gonna happen? And then Episode two, beginning in verse thirteen. Episode two is about the promise. It says this Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon, a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along, running under the lee of a small island called Cauda. We managed with difficulties to secure the ship's boat. So here's kind of the journey that they're about to take. So you see they're leaving Phoenix. And there's that little island there, Kauda, and they're kind of, right, they're they're trying to go along. What they want to do is kind of hug the shoreline and so they can get up there. And the nor'easter actually blows them way out into the sea. And so the next few verses then describe lots of different stuff that they're doing because they're afraid because they're, you know, the, the storm is just out of control. They lower the gear. They tie these different things on. They start jettisoning the cargo, right, to try to get less weight on the ship so that it will rise and hopefully be, you know, handle it. It says in verse 19, and on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And then this is a stark verse, verse 20. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Think about this. If you go back to that map for a moment, they're out in that squiggly part of the line. Right, and like, what are you gonna run into? Where are you gonna go? You've thrown off a lot of your cargo. You've probably thrown off a lot of your food. What are you going to do? All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Yeah, it's pretty hopeless. You're out there in the middle of nowhere. You don't have radar. (laughs) You can't call for air support. What's going to happen? Verse 21, since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. You go, what? Right. Think about this. The, it's been dark, it's been stormy, it's been awful. You have these professional sailors who are going, verse 20, all hope of our being saved is lost. It's all lost. We're done. We're going to die out here, and Paul stands up and says, I urge you, verse 22, to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. What? Paul, really? I mean, don't you see where we are? Don't you see we're in the middle of nothing? Don't you see that it's dark? Don't you see that this storm is not letting up? Don't you know what time of year it is? Paul, what? How can you say this? Verse 23 is the answer. So this is an amazing thing. An angel has visited Paul, has told Paul, hey, you're gonna speak before Caesar, you're gonna get there, the ship will be destroyed, the ship will run aground, but you all will live. You're gonna hit an island. Now, now here's what's amazing, go back to that uh, map just one more time. What's the only island they could hit? Right, this is a needle in a haystack. But maybe that's where they'll go. It says in verse 27, when the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little further on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. They would lower stuff to try to figure out how far they were. Verse 29. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow. bow, So you get what happened? These sailors are like, "Uh, I see a life raft over there. (laughs) Let's lower that. And they're about to get on it. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. So here, get get the drama of this. You have a prisoner who has heard from God, we're going to be saved, but we all have to stay on this ship. We're going to lose the ship, but we're all going to be saved. And you now have people listening to him. Because here's what it says in verse 32, then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. Can you imagine what that must have been like for the guys that were hoping to get on that little lifeboat and sail on their own, right? And they cut it off and they watch it drift away. There had to be a few of them that were like, really? We're listening to the guy that had a dream, who's a prisoner, what? But, but clearly the centurion is going, hey, our, our only hope is to listen to what Paul says, they're, they're placing their lives in, in Paul's hands. Now, what's interesting about this, just, just kind of a, a thing to notice about how we can trust the scriptures, uh, there was a guy named James Smith, and he wrote a book um, many, many years ago. He grew up in a nautical family, and he wrote a book called The Voyage and Shipwreck of St. Paul, and here's what he writes about this whole description that Luke gives here in this, in this passage. He says, no sailor would have written in a style so little like that of a sailor No man not a sailor could have written a narrative of a sea voyage so consistent in all its parts unless from actual observation. So what he's saying here is Luke, who was a physician we know, was clearly not a sailor. Because if he was a sailor, he would have written it a little differently. But he must have actually seen this because the way he describes all the ups and downs and the turmoil and how they did all these things... Couldn't have happened unless he actually observed this. This is something that we have to know when we talk about the trustworthiness of God's word, is that God's word is written by eyewitnesses in the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. This is not this sort of long-range game of telephone, I heard from, I heard from, I heard from. Luke was there. He saw it says, uh, verse 33, as it was, as day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day you've continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. right They haven't been eating. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were In all, 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lighten the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. So they eat whatever they can, and then they throw the rest of the food over. They're all in. They're all in. What are they going to trust? What are they going to rely on? Are they going to rely on their nautical expertise, or are they going to rely on this prisoner who's heard from God? They go, we're going to rely on the prisoner who's heard from God. Episode 3 the shipwreck. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land but noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned if possible to run the ship ashore. So they cast off anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders, then hoisting the foresail to the wind they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners lest any should swim away and escape. This is, that's so funny to me. It's like, where are they going to go? And why didn't you kill them earlier? That would have lightened some of the weight, right? They don't do that because it says, verse 43, but the centurion wishing to save Paul. So the so centurion, the guy that's calling the shots here, he knows, hey, we go as... Paul goes, wishing to save Paul kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. That's what Paul had said. Paul said, listen, we're gonna make it. No one is gonna die. We're gonna lose the ship but listen to me, man, listen to me. Do what I'm telling you to do and we'll be saved. Here's what Daryl Bach, a commentator on the book of Acts says. He says, this journey is showing that by listening to Paul, the audience is being protected by God. This is a good illustration of the gospel. Isn't it interesting? Right, this is an interesting picture. Right, what you have is these people whose lives are in deep, deep danger If they will listen to the the rescue that Paul offers, they'll be saved. Isn't that exactly what's happening with the gospel? You have people, every tribe and tongue and nation who are sinners like you and me, who have rejected God, who have decided to live life our own way without him. And along comes Paul to say, listen, you can be reconciled to God. You can be made whole. You can have a new hope and a new life through the resurrection of Jesus. Will you trust him? Will you trust? Trust him? What will you put your hope in? Will you put your hope in your expertise? Or will you put your hope in the God that Paul is always telling you about? That's the choice they had here. It's a great illustration of the gospel. All right, episode four. This one will be interesting. The snake bite. The snake bite, what's this about? Verse one of chapter 28. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. So they showed up. They hit the only island you could hit, the needle in the haystack. They got directed there by the Lord. They find out, oh, this is called Malta, verse 2. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat, and fastened on his hand, right? So Paul's doing, you know, what I would do. I, I don't have any perceivable skills, so I would just walk around and pick up some sticks and go, Oh, uh, you guys need these? Right? And so that's what he does. And, and somewhere in the sticks is this viper. It comes out and it bites and it holds itself onto Paul's hand. Verse 4 When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. By the way, think about this. If you're Paul, aren't you a little like, really? <laughs> like, we just like made it by the skin of our teeth and now this? And everyone's going, he's a murderer, right? There's, they're this superstitious. There's these people. Oh, he, something bad happened to him. He must be a bad person because only bad stuff happens to bad people. Do you know any superstitious people like that? They assume, well, if you're sick, well, maybe you didn't pray for healing well enough or maybe you did something wrong or if you lost your job, well, clearly it's your fault. If something bad happens to you, it's because you're bad. That's the people of Malta. I love verse five. Paul goes all Taylor Swift. Verse five, he, however, shook it off. Shook it off. Took you a minute down there. He, however, (laughs) shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm, right? So Paul just shakes it off. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead, but when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. (laughs) Something bad happened to you? You're bad. Oh, something good happened to you? You're good. Do you know any people like that? Do you know any people who, because life's kind of going good for them, they assume I'm good with God. I'm okay. I'm a pretty good person. See, there's a little bit of Malta in all of us, isn't there? We live our lives not on the basis of anything solid or foundational, nothing that's like a rock we could stand on, but we're tossed to and fro by the waves of our circumstances. Something good happened, oh, I must be good. Something bad happened, oh, I must be bad. That's the people of Malta. There's a little bit of Malta in all of us. Verse seven, now, the neighbor, now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed, putting his hands on him and healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Just a small little point here. It's interesting that, that Paul, like Jesus, when you read Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of Luke, Paul, just in the same way, he heals people with the power of God indiscriminately. There's no indication here that anybody believed. They may have. Maybe they didn't. I don't, we don't know. But he just said, you know what, the the kingdom of God comes bringing healing. So if I have the power to heal and these people need it, I'll give it to them. If I have the power to provide food for people who need it, I'll give it to them, regardless of what they believe. If people need diapers and formula, we'll give it to them, regardless of what they believe. We'll do that because that's a sign of the kingdom of God. So Paul survives the shipwreck, he survives the snake bite, and the moment that we've been waiting for happens in episode 5. Episode 5, the arrival. Verse 11, after three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria. So they stay there in Malta. They're going, we're, we're going to wait till the weather clears. <laughs> they stay there for three months. They find another ship uh, that had kind of been hanging out there with the twin gods as a figurehead, verse 12. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium, and after one day a south wind sprang up, and on the second day we came to Petioli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. Here's this journey, the map of this journey. They go from Malta, they kind of go along through there, and then we came rome paul's been waiting on this we've been waiting on this since acts chapter 23 verse 11 when paul was in prison and jesus stood by him and said you've preached faithfully about me in jerusalem you will preach faithfully about me in rome and so he gets to rome there's already a church there and we don't know really from history how the church in Rome had gotten started, but there are some brothers and sisters, some people who are part of a local church in Rome that hear about this, and it says, verse 15, and the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage, and when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. So he's made it, he's made it to Rome right he's been standing on all these trials he's had to defend himself like how's that all going to wrap up how's this going to conclude what's going to happen when paul gets to rome well episode 6 is the hope, and it begins in verse 17. And what basically what Paul does, to summarize a few verses there, is uh, after he's kind of in Rome and he settles a little bit, he sends word out to the Jewish leaders in Rome, not to the Christian leaders, but to the Jewish leaders, and he says, uh, hey, you all may have heard some stuff about me, I don't know, word travels through the Roman Empire, you might have heard some stuff, but I would like to meet with you and kind of clarify it and talk kind of about what I'm doing. Right? And so some people do that. They, they say, hey, we haven't really heard much about you, but we'd like to hear you know, about what you're doing. Because we've heard about Christianity, and we know that a lot of people have bad stuff to say. Could you clarify it for us? And so here's what he says then in verse 23. It says, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. This is what Paul does all the time. He's expounding, he's convincing, he's persuading. He's saying, listen, the kingdom of God is at hand. The reign of God, God is reigning and ruling through Jesus. Will you put your trust in him? Will you put your hope in him? He's the one that the law and the prophets and all the scriptures that you've looked to and revered, he's the one it all pointed to. Trust him, believe him, follow him. It says in verse 24, and some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. How many times have we read a verse like that in Acts? Just over and over. That's what always happens. Some believe and some don't. It says, in disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. So so Luke's gonna now spend a good chunk of the very last part here telling you the thing that Paul said that made everyone go, all right, we're out, we're leaving. What was the thing that people were listening until he said this? Here's what it is. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Paul continues. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. What was it that set them off? What was it that said, we can't hear any more of this? It was Paul saying, hey, Isaiah prophesied that the Jews would reject the Messiah, and so I'm going to go to the Gentiles. They'll listen, and they never want to hear that. That always is more than they want to take. And then here's the end, verse 30. He lived there two whole years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The end. Wait, what? what? Luke, what happened? Did you run out of scroll? Wait, wait, wait! He had a trial. He was going to stand before Caesar. What what happened? Paul had written in Romans that he wanted to get to Rome and then go to Spain. Did he? What, what, what Paul? Luke? What? Ah. A lot of people, a lot of scholars like to debate and discuss. It's a good question. Why did Luke end it here? Why did he end it this way? Some say, well, maybe he just had been working on this along the journey, and you know, this is where he left off, and it just he didn't know yet. Maybe. We don't know for sure. A lot of people speculate that, that the two years that it says in verse 30, that Paul had been there, he lived there two years, that that was kind of the statute of limitations. That after two years, if the Jews hadn't come up to kind of present the charges against him, he would have been set free. So some people say that. Some people say, well, he, he kind of had this two year imprisonment and then he went elsewhere and then he came back and eventually was killed in Rome for his faith. We don't know. But I actually like this last verse because I view it as an invitation to the church. The church that would have first read this and the church now. That Paul, here's what he did. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ without, with all boldness and without hindrance. What have we said week after week after week when the scripture reader finishes it? What do we say? May this word of the Lord unite us as a church and make us bold as missionaries. That's the last verse. Go be bold, teach, proclaim the kingdom of God, the reign of God, the Lord Jesus Christ has come. Preach it, church. I love the ending of the book of Acts. Those are episodes, that's how it ends. What's our big idea? What's our big takeaway? And what's the big question that follows it? Now get this, we'll summarize Acts more next week, but from this two chapters, these two chapters, what's our What's our big idea? Here it is. God can be taken at his word. That's the big idea. God can be taken at his word. God told Paul the ship would crash. It did. God told Paul no lives would be lost. None were. God told Paul he would reach Rome. He did. God can be taken at his word. If we have to pick between what the experts say, these nautical geniuses, who frankly got us in this mess. Or we have to lean on the God whose word never fails. Who are we gonna lean on? What are we gonna stand on? We're gonna stand on God because God can be taken at his word. This is what the whole Bible declares, that God can be taken at his word. Abraham was told he'd have a son, he did. Moses was told he would deliver his people from Egypt, he did. Isaiah prophesied 700 years before that a suffering servant would come for the people of Israel, he did. Jesus told his disciples repeatedly three times, listen, we're gonna get to Jerusalem, I'm gonna suffer and die and be crucified and raised. And you know what? He did. The church has been told that we would be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. They are, here we are, the ends of the earth. Jesus promises he will build his church and the gates of hell will not stop it. And they won't. Jesus can be taken at his word. That's the big idea. So here's the key question. What will you build your life on? What will you build your life on? See, all of us are building our lives on something. All of us have a kind of bottom line, a kind of bedrock where we go, this is what matters. This is what I stand for. This is what defines me. This is what shapes me. What will you build your life on? This is kind of the challenge that Jesus gave at the end of his famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter seven, it says this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. Listen, everyone who hears the words of Jesus, you're on a rock. But Jesus said this, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Listen, everyone's building on something. What will you build your life on? And can it stand up against the wind and the waves and the crashing of the sea? Can it do that? Listen, some of you are building your life on your career. And your job defines you. All of your key relationships are there. All of your focus and energy is there. Even when you're home, you're not really home because you're there in your mind. Listen, you are an economic collapse. You're a technology change. Your, the he, your own personal health and well-being, you're, that, that all could just change your career in a minute. It's, it's shifting sand. Some of you, you're building your life on a relationship. Maybe it's a relationship with a spouse, or maybe it's a relationship with somebody that, you know, kind of feels like that to you? Look around. Are you sure you can build your life, stand on the rock of a relationship? I mean, divorce is everywhere. And what if you make it through that? Well, you know what's coming next, death. You wanna build your life on something that death can take away? What about kids? Build your life on your kids, they're moving away. Some of you are like, I know, hallelujah. (laughs) But listen, not if you build your life on your kids, you don't feel that way. You're dreading it, who am I? What's my identity? What's my life? What does this mean? Who am I without these kids? That's a, that's a bad place to build your hope. What about pleasure? You know, I'm just going to have fun. I'm just going to live it up. I'm just going to do what I want. I'm just going to you know sleep with who I want and drink what I want and take what I want and just do what I want. Well, what about when that kills you? Then what? Some of you go, oh, it's I'm gonna build it on politics and the government. Seriously? <laughs> I'm not even gonna talk about that. You're, you must be kidding, right? Listen, don't you want a hope that suffering and death can't destroy? Isn't that what you want? So why would you build your life on a career or a marriage or a family or, or the government or politics or some perfect ideal that you have? Don't do that. Suffering is coming and it'll destroy that. Death is coming, it'll destroy that. Build your hope on the rock of Jesus and his word because nothing can take that away. Suffering and death don't take it away, they actually accelerate your experience of it. Build your life on that. That's why Isaiah says this in chapter 40 The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. God can be taken at his word. Build your life on that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for people like Luke who took incredible pains to write it down and to preserve it and to thoughtfully organize it so it would shape us and, and grow us. And we pray that you would do that, Lord. God, thank you that we can take you at your word, that you demonstrated that to us through the cross and resurrection of Jesus. We pray in his name, amen.